Who wants to hear the Word of God? All right. The church father Cyprian in the third century uh, lived during two major Roman persecutions. I think my boy Taylor might know about Cyprian. You're in church history. Um, during that time, during persecutions, and we're not talking about persecutions like in America, we're talking about Roman persecutions where people died. During that time, Cyprian in North Africa witnessed hundreds of professing Christians um, who were walking away from the church and they wished to be anonymous because they didn't want to die. And Cyprian, in response, uttered one of the most famous lines in church history. He said, outside the church, there is no salvation. And of course, what he meant was not that going to church saves you. What Cyprian meant was that apart from the Word of God preached, apart from gathering with the saints, encouraging, sharpening, fellowshipping, apart from the ordinances, how can someone persevere in their faith? We need the church. The church is not something that entertains us. It's not something we come every Sunday and we just do. The church is something God created for our good. So I hope you're hungry for the Word this morning. I want to thank you all, first of all, for praying for, for Kelly. Um, surgery went well. Um, hope you got my newsletter. That sounds so Baptisty. Um, but uh, Kelly's doing well. She's walking. She's, she's, she's hobbling. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife had surgery this week uh, to remove. Uh, it took about a, a fistful of muscle. Uh, and we have a follow-up appointment on Tuesday morning to feel, figure out what they found in it, I think. Um, so please be in prayer for that. Um, I was actually encouraged by this text uh, this week. Because in this passage, as we're about to see, Luke says, of, uh, Gabriel tells uh, Mary, of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the title of the sermon. Well, there it is. Which means, it encouraged me because that means that, I want you all to think about this. Think about a hundred years from now, if our Lord has not returned. Do you think anyone's going to remember your name? Anybody? I remember going, um, I had two great, great, great grandfathers. One fought for the North and one fought for the South. And my closest one, Isaac, fought for the North. And I remember they're, they're buried like miles apart from one another. In the state of Kentucky, you fought one or the other. And these men gave their lives in this war, and I remember going upon, just kind of stumbling upon their graves, and the, the, the gravestones were like in the middle of nowhere. And I just thought to myself, no one knows these men even existed. Will people remember you? What do you want people to remember of you if they did? Because in our text this morning, as we're going to see, Gabriel wants Mary to know one thing. You don't need to know it all, but you need to know the child that you're about to conceive of his kingdom, there will be no end. That means in a hundred years, whether people remember your name, they will know his. That's why at Haynes Creek, we're not seeking our own name, we're not seeking our own glory. 
We're seeking one name. The only name that will survive at the end of time. Just imagine if you're Mary. And so uh, without any further ado, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 1. We're celebrating the Advent season. Advent, uh, for those uh, who are not familiar with the term, Advent means coming or to come. So we're celebrating the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we're also celebrating His coming back. Um, So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And when you found it, please stand. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And Luke records, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be a great, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, of your kingdom there is no end. There will be an end to our troubles. There will be an end to our sorrow. There will be an end to our lives, to our names, to our responsibilities to our commitments, to our families, to our marriages. All of those things have an end, but Jesus has no end. And that is our hope. Our hope is in the one who will endure forever, whose throne is unshakable. And Father Gabriel is telling Mary that our king was born as a baby. Father, reveal to us this morning the miracle of Emmanuel. Show us the glory of the incarnation so that we can come to worship this king of whose kingdom there is no end. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Before we begin, we're going to do something we've never done, at least when I've been here. We're going to show a video. Here you go. Wally before. Raise your hand. All right. If you have kids and you haven't, then what are you doing? Um, 
It's one of my favorite scenes in the Pixar movies, um, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. It's funny, I believe, because there are tiny bits of reality in it. I'm just convinced that by and large is either Walmart or Amazon, um, or Facebook, who knows. Um, we are a very consumeristic people, and I believe of all children's movies, that scene captures where our culture is headed. I mean, it's, it's exaggerative. But you got to admit, there are some things there, and it kind of make you go, hmm, I could see us maybe heading in that direction a little bit. In that scene, every single thing in their lives is provided by a machine, and they don't have to do anything for themselves. They don't have to think for themselves. They don't have to talk to people face to face. They don't have to move for themselves. They don't have to eat for themselves. Even their bone structure, apparently, has begun to deteriorate because they now live in a world where every basic human need is met by a corporation. They're passive consumers. And as much as we laugh, and as much of an exaggeration as it is, I see much of today's modern church in that clip. You can come to churches today and not interact with anyone but a screen. You can come to a church today and talk to people and never actually get to know anyone. You can come to a church today and you and your children, once you get to the door, you split and don't see each other again until you leave. There are churches today whose sole purpose is to entertain you so that you don't get bored. There are people today who will decide to attend a church solely based on what that church can give them, like, I don't know, good coffee or donuts or good music. Just like the consumers in this video, there are people who will come to church in order to let the paid professionals Provide for them everything they need so that they actually don't have to do anything. Like read the Bible. Just like the guy who got knocked off his chair and he couldn't pick himself up. There are people who've been groomed so much on health and wealth and prosperity, gospel teaching and cheap religious religiosity. They don't know how to cope with adversity in their life because they've never actually received the Word of God. They're like children and they can't take care of themselves. Just like the kids learning about the corporations and whatever uh, by and large wanted them to learn, there are Christians who live on nothing but devotionals and Christian memes and the latest book they read and never actually read the Bible at all. We laugh at, you know, everybody in the video was eating their lunch out of a big gulp. But that's the steady spiritual diet that constantly thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians actually feed on. Thinking that somehow they're receiving the Word of God because um, they went and shared a Facebook meme. My favorite part of the video is, try blue, it's the new red. Ah. That is American Christian. We chase new preachers and new teaching and new fads and new myths because we saw it on the internet and not because it's consistent with the Word of God. 
American cultural Christians are a lazy, consumeristic people. And I'm about to throw myself in there in, in, in one sense. Y'all just wait. And it costs so many people their souls because they would rather be fed than do. Here's my point this morning. That is not what Christmas is about. This world is feeding you a consumeristic Christmas. Buy this. You need this. Go see this. Upgrade to this. But the Bible says that Christmas is not about consumerism. It's about servanthood. The incarnate God, Jesus Christ, is not a good or a product for you to choose, but a king for whom you will bow. It is simply impossible to be a servant of Jesus in this world with a consumer mentality. A consumer says, what can you do for me? A servant says, what can I do for you? Kind of sound JFK-ish a little bit there. It says that Mary was greatly troubled at Gabriel's message. She doesn't really understand what it means. And not only is she going to conceive the Lord, but her cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby in her old age. Mary's a little bewildered. And instead of interrogating Gabriel, here's what she says in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. That's called faith. Let it be to me according to your word, O Lord. Mary's face in the word of God. Mary's saying, look, there's a lot of unknowns here. I don't even know half of what you just said. But here's what the word has the final say. That's my authority. I'm going to believe it. For those of you who don't know how to pray, by the way, that's, a, that's a, a great prayer to pray. Lord, let my family be according to your word. Lord, let my marriage be according to your word. Lord, let my integrity in my personal life and my job be according to your word. That's a prayer that honors God. It's okay to pray to God and ask Him for things. It's not okay to pray to God and ask Him for things as if your will is more important than His. Now, I will admit it's very hard not to be a little consumeristic in 21st century America. I'm a consumer. Don't think I'm going to sit here and bash consumers when chances are I'll probably stop by Kroger on the way home and buy something. I'm in America. So sue me. Presents, cards. I mean, during Christmas, I mean, my wife has like 20,000 Hallmark movies on DVR right now. It's very easy to celebrate Christmas my point is, it's thinking about more about ourselves than others is what's really hard and what is sinful. It's very hard in this world to have an attitude like Mary. It is our natural inclination. It's our natural tendency. It's our natural affinity to turn inwards and care more about our wants and our needs than other people's. But that's exactly what we're called to do. I actually want to take a break here for just a second. And if, you want to, if you want something nice to do, one, you've already blessed me. Many of you all have prayed for me and cooked for me. 
But we have a couple here who has a son. Well, he's not actually their son. His name's Mikey. He's 21 years old, and he's going to have a feeding tube put in today. And he's at Rockdale Medical. Please pray for him. If you want to do something special for the Hintons, they sit back there most of every Sunday. Boy in the wheelchair. The Son of God emptied Himself and took the form of a servant. And He calls us to the very same service and obedience to those who are less fortunate. Here's what Gabriel tells Mary, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's go through those words. Most high, throne, reign, kingdom. Before God tells Mary anything else about His Son, God wants her to know one thing. He's a king. The child who will be born is God in flesh. That's why we... Don't miss this. This is why we say that Jesus is God incarnate. You put that up there, uh, Chris. The incarnation is the enfleshing of God. We use that term a lot here. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we said Jesus was not created. He was what? He was born. The Son of God took on flesh. The Son of God was incarnated. God did not create Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God enfleshed. At the Council of Nicaea in 325, the church got together and agreed that God was three persons, one essence. But roughly a century later, the church had a new question. How do we explain the incarnation? How do you explain God became a man? We need to get together and talk about that for a sec. If Jesus is human and divine, what exactly is He? Is He two people? Is He half human and half divine? So at the Council of Chalcedon in 451... Roman bishops from across the Western world got together and they agreed that the best way from Scripture to describe Jesus Christ in His nature is to say that He is one person, two natures. Jesus is one person, two natures. Jesus is not two different people. That's called Nestorianism. Jesus is not half human, half divine. That's called Eutychianism. One of my favorite heretical words. He is fully God and fully man. He is one person, two natures. Just to give you a sense this morning of how important it is, how important it was for them to make sure they got Christ right, make sure that they were so detailed about who Jesus Christ is, I'm going to show you the Chalcedonian Creed. The Chalcedonian Creed is the fullest, most detailed statement about who Jesus Christ is in His humanity and His deity. Here it is. Alright, everybody stand. I'm just kidding. You're not going to stand. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same. Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable or rational soul and body, consubstantial or coessential with the Father, according to the Godhead, consubstantial with us according to the manhood... 
in all things, like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Everyone needs to remember that. (laughs) The reason I read that, that's Jesus, the one we worship. And you all may hear that and read that and go, "Uh, I mean, why does it all matter? Because it's Jesus. Because the church got together and said, if we're going to worship this guy, how do we explain the fact that he's both fully God and fully man? It was that important to the church to make sure they understood this incarnation thing. There's certain things that we're not going to understand. It's so deep. It's so mysterious. But here's what we know. He's both fully God and fully man. The rest we can't figure out. And you don't have to. One thing they wanted to make sure was, one, Jesus isn't some kind of divine schizophrenic where he has like half of his brain is divine and the other is human. No, he's, he's one person, two natures. He must be fully divine in order to pay an infinite debt for our sin. He must be fully human in order to stand in our place as our substitute. Here's, another, here's, a, here's a simple way. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the God-man, and of His kingdom, Gabriel says, there will be no end. And here's another point for you this morning. The kingship of Jesus, exalting Jesus as king, destroys consumeristic Christianity. Where you find sinners making much of Jesus, you find sinners thinking less of themselves. If you come to church thinking that you're here for an experience, you're a consumer. If you come to church ready to bow at the feet of a king, you're a servant. This week, the Todd family, I'm telling you, we were a pitiful bunch. We were pitiful. Kelly got home from surgery on Monday, took care of her Monday night. I got sick. Kids gave me their stomach bug Tuesday. Kelly wasn't two days away from having surgery. She was taking care of me, and I was in bed. Then I was in bed for two days. I got up. Guess who then gets the stomach bug? My wife. So then guess who starts serving her? Me. I mean, all week we were like this. Just trained. No no two people were ever good at the same time. And I remember yesterday morning, she finally, I knew she'd get it. And I woke up, she was, she was, and I went, did I give it to you? And she goes, you gave it to me. I was like, I'm sorry. And uh, I just kept thinking, we're taking care of one another. We're loving one another. We're serving one another at our worst. Coughing. 
And I'm taking care of my bride because I am one flesh with her. I'm taking care of my bride because in some sense I'm taking care of myself. We are one unit. Before anything gets done, when Kelly's sick, when Kelly's hurt, when she's, when she's rehabbing, my life stops and I serve her. There is really, other than my kids, there's no other commitment I have, really, that supersedes the one I have with my wife. Because she's my own flesh. I felt so unproductive this week. My school took a back seat. My church took a back seat. My commitments to... I mean, I was, I was sitting there half sick preparing this sermon. And it, and it got me to understand, in taking care of Kelly... In some sense, I'm taking care of myself because we're one flesh. And I, w- I don't want you to miss this this morning. God gave Kelly and I the gift of marriage so that we could understand what God is doing on Christmas by becoming one flesh with His church. In the beginning, in Genesis 2, God makes marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That one flesh is designed to point to the greater marriage between Christ and His bride. Therefore, on Christmas, God is pledging Himself by becoming one flesh with His church. He's saying, here's how you know I won't walk away. I'm going to become a human. Here's how you know I'm not going to walk away. Here's how you know I'm going to keep my promises. My son is going to become one of you. On Christmas, we become one flesh with God. (laughs) God and man meet in Jesus. God had so much humility, so much unconditional love for His church that He became one flesh with us to serve us. So I serve my wife today. I serve my church today. I serve my neighbor today because Christ served His bride. Today when I go home from church, I'll probably stop by Kroger and make sure Kelly gets what she needs. i probably got to pick up a couple things. I might get on Amazon later and get some last minute presents. I might click on some Netflix. I'm going to go home and I'm going to consume things. But none of those things are going to satisfy me. None of those things will last. Not the food, not the presents, not the shows. See, I wasn't created to be a consumer, but I was created to honor God. I was created to serve the high King of heaven. And if I'm not serving and honoring God, I'm not doing what I was created to do. Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want you all to understand something this morning. Christianity is not like Netflix. Where we experience one season of Bible reading or one season of a really good book, one season of a small group, and then we get bored and move on to something else. Christianity is not like Amazon where we can pick up the parts of the Christian life that we like and we can put it in a basket and then we can take that and leave the rest. Christianity is not like a restaurant where I come to God and I wait for Him to bless me and serve me. 
With all of our heart, soul, and mind, we are designed to surrender our lives to the King of Kings. And my fear this morning is that far too many of us have started treating Jesus like a grocery item rather than a king whose kingdom has no end. He sits on the throne of David. He's over the house of Jacob. Of his kingdom there is no end. And I'm here to tell you all this morning, when the earth passes away, when our marriages are no more, when our children are gone, there will be one throne and Jesus will still be sitting on it. And his church will still be praising him. We live in an American culture that tells us that we need new things to constantly keep us busy and occupied. And the gospel says that we can do one thing for the rest of our lives and never get bored. Bow before the throne of God above. Jesus Christ was born to die. And He died that we might live. And we live that we might sing His praises forever. If you believe that, you have a kingdom waiting for you that will not end. Christmas will end. Everything in here will end. And then Jesus will still be sitting on his throne. Take your pick. Let's pray. Father, Jesus' kingdom is endless. How in the world you took deity and humanity and put them together, we will not know. We do know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Father, it took nothing less than God the Holy Spirit to, to, to unite God and man in a womb. Father, the rest we leave to you. The Trinity we leave to you. The incarnation we leave to you. Our souls we leave to you. Because we know that you are king. And we know that your kingdom has no end. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.